Welcome back to another episode of George in the Jungle. George Vogel is my host. I am Aaron Smith. We cover Cincinnati sports here, including the Bearcats, the Reds, the FC Cincinnati, high school sports, the Bengals, of course, uh, as an homage in the title. But we are covering this past week and away we go george good to see you again this week good to see you aaron what a what another eventful weekend it's been and uh what a great scene saturday on the campus of the university of cincinnati did you make it to the game oh yeah it was loud yeah yeah it was i'll tell you what they were juiced up ready to go they had the big noon thing in town i didn't go over to that staging area but uh, i watched a lot of it before i left to go to the game um, and you know, I'll, I'll say this, these Cincinnati people, they show out when, when something like that hits town, uh, they don't hold back. They go after it. They do. And you'd absolutely love to see that. Uh, I think Tony Pike said it was a, a top three environment that he's ever been around. And he's certainly been around some big games. Um, Chad said the same thing again, a top three uh, I know Satterfield let off both his post-game presser and his presser today with just a, a hat tip to the environment. And you just you love seeing a new staff, new coaches, a, a team that Oklahoma's never been in Nippert, I don't believe, at least not in any no. recent history. No, when they um, came to Cincinnati, they played at Paul Brown about roughly 10 years ago. I just didn't know if they had played at any time Way yeah, I back. don't think so. I don't think they have ever been at Nippert Stadium. And and I, you know what? I wanted to ask some of those fans. There were a lot of Oklahoma fans that showed up too. Uh, and just what they thought of that, because they're used to a bigger stadium and all that. But everyone that comes into this place and hasn't been there before is just kind of blown away about you know how intimate it is there, but still very loud, a lot of fun, and just parked right in the middle of campus buildings. And I, I, it, it's got to be a shock to a lot of first-timers to walk into a stadium that's situated like that, right smack dab in the middle of campus. You know, yeah. you these classroom buildings around, dorms around, and, and you know, those big buildings around it and the big press box, uh, TUC behind that, keeping that sound in. Uh, it, it's got to be quite the experience for those people. I, I, I guess um, – I guess I was just kind of mad at the, at the Oklahoma fans when they were able to rub it in a little bit there in the fourth quarter. So I didn't really ask anyone about the experience. But other reports I read said uh, everyone was pretty impressed with what they saw there on campus. Yeah, and that comes as no surprise. We're accustomed to seeing this where people see a 40,000-person stadium on the schedule and they're like, oh, this will be a piece of cake. There's not going to be right. anybody there. And everyone is always just perplexed as to how a 40,000-person stadium is that damn loud, yeah. that much energy, and especially by comparison with a lot of these you know, 60, 80, 100,000-person stadiums that are – rivaled by historic Nippert Stadium. Yeah, it's really a special place, and, and I'm glad people are appreciating that now. Um, you know, it wasn't always so special. Uh, they didn't always get those crowds, that's for sure. And right. hell, the place was, you know, partially condemned at one point. 
and they didn't know what they were going to do back in 1990 when they were trying to figure out what do we do. I remember talking to Tim Murphy, the head coach back then, about it. He was in on like some of the redesign, what they may or may not do, and if they would just, you know, he was in favor of like kind of filling in the, the old stands completely with concrete and making it even more of a vertical bowl. Um, but, uh, you know, they, they did a, a, a little cheaper renovation back then, just, you know, trying to keep the program afloat. And my goodness, it, it, it's like a Fenway Park or a, or a Wrigley Field, as, as Brian Kelly used to call it, of college football. It's, it's definitely a special place. And it's great to hear people who haven't seen it before and some of their comments and their surprise at, at what's going on there, because it is crazy. Well, let's get to the game itself, as Cincinnati has back-to-back -back home losses for the first time, I believe, since 2017. Um, yep. And uh, they do fall to Oklahoma 20-6, to another game where they have struggled to punch the ball into the end zone with one touchdown now in the last two weeks. Um, they, they did uh, hit two field goals as they, they missed the first field goal of their three attempts. Um, and then they had one drive that was inside the 20, um, that ended inside the 20, and that one they went for it on fourth down. Otherwise, they potentially could have had another field goal. But Yeah, the, yeah. Uh, the offense, they've got to finish. They've got to finish. They yeah. just don't finish drives. We talked about it with Miami. Obviously, the Oklahoma defense is pretty tough, but UC was able to move the ball some. They were able to get some drives going. Um Let's see what bothered me. I mean, I got a list of things that kind of bothered me. Hit me with it, George. Well, first, you know, I hate to single out college kids and all that. Um, the whole offense was a little shaky uh, across the board. But I think, you know, Emory Jones didn't look great early on. I think the line was having some issues early on. Uh, that was probably part of it. He seemed like he maybe settled down. Uh, he got in a little good good rhythm there late in the first half and, and actually mm -hmm. some of the second half. Um, but, you know, 10 to 3 in the second quarter, right? UC's down 10 to 3. They got the ball in the 26 yard line going in, but third and 12, an interception in the end zone. That And, and Jones took all the blame for that. He, you know, threw back across the field when he had three receivers on the other side. And, Coach Satterfield talked a little bit about that in the post game as well, and and that's a mistake in an Oklahoma game. You just can't afford if you're if you're going to take down a team like that, you can't make those kind of mistakes. So I agree. They finished with 235 yards, 22 of 41. That's just not good enough. Um, you know, obviously a drop or two in there, but I, I thought he could play better for sure, no doubt about it. Although I did think he didn't get a lot of help from that line. Another thing that bothered me okay late in the third quarter you still got a ball game going they got a drive going with a couple of nice runs a uh, pass to Corey Kiner they had the running backs going a little bit there and they're driving they get it you know I think Jones may have gotten uh eight yards or maybe it was a pass to, to Kiner they they get it to second and two they're on the 20 yard line second and two and instead of keeping those running backs involved they go to two Jones you know designed runs that netted zero yards, and then on fourth down into incomplete pass to uh, the tight end Singletary. So that that just uh, that sequence bothered me. Um, I think they got those running backs going. They should have kept using them in that situation. 
I think it's second and two. You just keep doing what's working. You finally found something against that Oklahoma defense. And I I felt like those play calls kind of uh, busted up the rhythm they had and quite frankly cost them what was a pretty good drive up to that point. But, you know, the biggest thing, just not finishing, not finishing these drives. And, and they've got to find a way to get that done because, uh, you know, it's not going to be easy. Friday night at BYU if they do that. In fact, they'll lose again if they do that. And I, I thought defensively they played very well. I, I was I was I was big on the defense and what they did for the most part. Couple of complaints there, but uh, back to that <laughs> offense before I get too deep in, into what they did defensively. And I thought they did a really good job. Um, your assessment uh, of Jones and, and what you saw out of that offense and. And kind of the same old, same old of not being able to finish drives. Yeah, uh, Chad and I, we did the um, nightcap after the game, and then we did the BBP last night. And I'm on record saying repeatedly, uh, just offensive line, I think, is is really where this whole thing starts. Um, I don't think it ends there, but I think this where this issue on offense starts. I think that you have some trickle down to – Run games looked over the course of the season, over the course of the last two weeks even, has looked above average. It's looked good. I, I won't go great, uh, but I think it's looked good. Um, but I think Emery is is nervous. He's, he had um, – PFF had him as 31 hurries this week, and when you're hurried that many times, that's not all on your quarterback. Yeah, it's a total jail break, yep. And it's hard to make reads. So, you know, that happens – Say that happens, I don't know, a half dozen times, a dozen times, and you're not going to be in any type of rhythm to where you're able to make your checkdowns, to where you're able to read through your progressions, to where you're able to find the open man. You're running for your life. You're right. trying. You're trying to stay upright. You're trying to protect the ball, and when you're being pressured that many times, it's it's not going to be it's easy for us in the stands to say, Oh, there's a guy open there because we can see the whole field at the same right. time. And you don't uh, have the one bearing down on you. Right. When there's no one breathing on our necks. Uh, so I don't know for me, it's, I don't want to, I don't want to say I'm giving Emery a pass. Cause I, I do think that he's holding himself responsible in the way that he's talking. Um, I also think that he, he absolutely believes that. I think Scott Satterfield believes that Emery could be making some better decisions as well. He alluded to that in his presser today. Um, but I still think that it, it starts with that offensive line. And if they're not giving him the opportunity to be successful, you're going to struggle to find success in this offense. Yeah, and, and, and look, he doesn't get consistent help in that running game either, and we know where that starts because these running backs are pretty darn good. Right. Uh, when they get a crack – they usually get the yards they should get uh, on that play. and But it's just, man. Uh, and, and I think Coach alluded to that, that they've got to, you know, they're not going to find it this year, the depth for the offensive line, but that's something right. the program needs to take a step and, and, and compete at a high level in the Big 12. And right now they're not there. They're just not there. So that that's going to – they're going to have to figure out ways – to, uh, you know, maybe get the ball out quicker. I don't know what else you do with that running game that they haven't tried. But, um, you know, and they're not going to be going against a defense like Oklahoma's every week. But it didn't work against Miami last week either. I mean, that's – that's that, that 
that tells you everything you need to know right there. Uh, yeah. Positives, defense, uh, I thought, for the most part, played very, very well. I mean, uh, you know, Dorian Jones had the big game. Ken Willis making his first start. Yeah. Pace in the game. Uh, Willis seems like he's certainly a keeper based on what we saw. I, I don't know that PFF graded him all that great, but the kid was seeing his first action as a starter. and, and he made Against it. Oklahoma. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And, I, he made <laughs> And you know the Godfather is the Godfather. When he was in there, he was right. he was making a difference in that game. Oklahoma had a lot of trouble controlling that guy, and everybody's gonna have trouble controlling him. And when he went down for a minute there, oh my God! Um, I, I was I, I'm just like everyone's like God. That's him. That's the Godfather. It's him. You know, thank God he got up, walked off, got a couple Cholitos, and was back in the game doing it <laughs> because uh, he, he's he's a play. You know, I mean, my God, he's UC's Aaron Dar- Donald is what it seems right. like to me. He's he, he's a line wrecker. Um, what did bother me? Okay, a couple things bothered me defensively, uh, and everyone at the time saw it. You you got a team backed up on their three-yard line, uh, you know, it's third and 18 or whatever it was, and you give up a 19-yard run. And, you know, I heard uh, the linebacker, uh, Meg Grushik was talking today, right? Yeah, and he said that they looked at the, you know, everyone was fit and in their lane. I don't know what happened there, but there was a lane this guy found nobody was in, and that that was a backbreaker because, you know, not only did they get out of that hole, they get down and get a field goal out of that drive. And that Chad, was Chad, what's going on with your volume? Kelsey's on the phone with her grandma. Real quick. I want you to guess the exit velocity on the home run that Ellie De La Cruz just hit. Oh, Lord. 115. No. Higher. Higher? 117. No. Higher? What? 119.2. That's insane. That, that that has to be the hardest fall ever hit, right? Like, Certainly since I've been keeping those kind of stats. 119.2. I think Acuna had the, the hardest hit ball earlier this season. At like 116. Did a fan catch it? Uh... <laughs> Or did it, it break the back? Like it, of the it looked like it dented the back wall in Cleveland. <laughs> I wish it would have hit that damn drum they used to have up there when they were called something else. <laughs> that guy sat up there and beat on that yeah. drum. Oh my God. Yes. Too high. Too high. <laughs> too high. The trajectory of the ball. <laughs> 119.2. That's yeah, one of the yeah. most incredible numbers I've ever heard. You'll have well, maybe he'll get it. I believe that maybe he'll get it put on a on a license plate like uh like the pitcher that that hit one oh yeah Chapman Chapman, hit one oh one oh six yeah one nineteen point two. Well, gonna be a special player. I mean, people have to have patience because obviously, you know, he hasn't gotten it done at the plate the way people would like to see it consistently from, you know, in yeah. August and, and, and September. But he also, he also hit one 420 feet earlier in the game. Yeah, I this is special. Uh, he, when, when 
when he makes his readjustment back to everything people are doing to him and, and gets his, uh, you know, is a little more selective, uh, it's it's going to be on, man. It's going to be crap. Well, we have a whole segment for the Reds later. Though. I know. I thought that was worth <laughs> of chiming in for a moment. When that somebody... was breaking news. I like it. In breaking fact, we got to get you. We got to get you a little breaking news logo thing, like you know, it just breaks in with the whoosh, like we do on the local news. I'll be like, hold on, we got some breaking news to get to. All right, you guys enjoy. Go back to what you were doing. We are. I was ta- I was talking about that third and eighteen play or whatever it was from the three. I have. I there can do go. that. I can do that. That's 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 producer extraordinary right there. That's good. I mean, to do that right, 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 quick like that is, is something else. But yeah, back to that play. I thought that was kind of a backbreaker too. I think that. Yeah. You keep them inside the ten. You're getting the ball in good field position. You're going in. You're going to score. And and so. That was that was a killer, and then the second drive of the second half, um, and the, the defense isn't going to be perfect the entire game. They're they're really not, but um, seventy five yards. And, and it was a seventy five yard scoring drive, led to a seventeen to six lead, and forty seven of those yards on the ground. It just found it seemed like Oklahoma found something there, and UC couldn't stop it, and that was a critical juncture in the game, and. The other thing I would say negative about the defense, and again, I'm, I'm kind of nitpicking, but there were it looked like there were a lot of missed tackles again. And and I have know, a stat for you, George. Okay, I do have a stat on that, um, and it comes courtesy. Is it team Houston? Now I know they're different players, but you know, a couple of years ago, the UC defense and they, uh, you know, they were loaded with NFL players. They never missed a tackle, and it spoiled me. And, and what I saw Saturday, I saw some missed tackles. This comes from college football insider uh, C.J. Vogel. Um, I don't know. I, I sincerely doubt it's any relation to you, but he does spell I, the I same. I know of, but it's uh, a good chance I don't know all my relatives. He covers Texas and OU, and he put this tweet out. Um, Big 12 missed tackles through week four. Cincinnati leads the Big 12 at 24 missed tackles, and that's first place as, as in the best um Oklahoma State has 56 and that's the worst um so UC does not miss as many tackles as I'm perceiving 24 on the season so an average of six a game at least according and I don't know where he's getting uh, it's via PFF PFF so okay. that does that does come well, via. I guess PFF. I can't correct it but it sure seemed like a lot to me and uh I, I guess maybe I'm just not used to it because of how darn good they were in the previous couple of years yeah at making tackles. I mean, it's like you see a missed tackle and you're like, what's that? Um, so that, but, but that drive kind of bothered me too. That was a point in the game where the defense, and I know they, they were on the field a lot. They, they can't do it all. They got to get some help there. Um, but overall you hold that offense of Oklahoma to uh, 20 points on the day. And if you told me Oklahoma scores 20, I'd be like, man, UC's got a really, really good shot at winning this game. I, I I really would have thought they had a darn good shot winning that game if they hold that offense to 20. But it didn't exactly. happen, but it gives you a little hope, you know, as this season plays out that that defense could do some special things. One thing that bothered me on the offense that you didn't touch on, uh, third down. Uh, yeah. Both three of 15 for the game. Um, two of seven on third and long, which is nine plus. Uh, two of two, 
two of ten. Uh, if you include anything five plus, that's terrible. And that's where they're getting in trouble on third down. They're, they're right. getting they're, they're too long of situations for the most part, and you know that's where you know you're getting your butt kicked on first and second down, and then third down's really not makeable. Um, yeah, that offense has got to – they've got to get that together. And third down definitely was an issue, but part of it is because of what happened on first and second down. And then uh, defense, another backbreaking play that stood out to me was that backwards pass that just happens to wobble itself right out of bounds. It just rolled yes. lace over lace over lace. Oh, and my just God. Yes. went straight out of bounds. I, it's so strange. We've all seen – Footballs, uh, the the only ball in all of sports that's designed to take wonky angles and do weird things, and it just not once but twice rolls out of bounds for in Oklahoma's favor. Once on that backwards pass, and once out of the back of the end zone on a ball that should have been kicked out of bounds on a kickoff. I have no idea how either of those two things happened, uh, but both of those stood out to me as just insane plays yeah those, those were bad breaks no doubt about it and that that would have been a big big play if you see would have gotten their hands on that ball yeah um, another thing what would you think about the uh funky the formation call? i think they got a field goal out of this drive the braden smith first down throw that kid can throw the ball first of all he can I mean, he, he's got he, he he threw a nice ball there um I don't know if that was the right call at the right time, but by golly, if he completes that pass, I would have been all about it. But I guess I can't complain about it, but it seemed like they had something going. It's like that could break the momentum if you have an incompletion there. But I kind of like this coaching staff, you know, rolling stuff out like that, not being afraid to go for that because uh, that, that would have been one hell of a deal if he would have completed that pass, and he's got a cannon. I give that kid a lot of credit for the way he throws. All right, here we go. Ellie doing us thing. Us. This is going to be the one that gets us demonetized. <laughs> oh, my word. Guys, like a looping curveball, too. Jeez, OP, he got every ounce of himself into that one. Yep. Um, Whip the bat. I, I, I think they were trying to get something going on that play, and they, they just were trying to make something happen uh, in that situation. They, they're – they haven't been able to score. They're trying to get the ball into the end zone. Yep. There's, it's getting close to the red zone at that point in time. Uh, right. When where the ball landed was definitely in the red zone. I believe it was even inside the ten or yep. close to the ten yard line at that. Um, and if he makes somebody miss, or or catches it maybe just a, a another yard ahead of where the defender was, then he's breaking for the end zone and Correct. probably going to hit somebody on his way into the end zone um, or or at least get stopped just shy of the end zone. So they're doing everything they can to find the end zone on that play. I'm not mad about that play. Um, no, I'm not mad about it. I, I'm just – it was it was an interesting call. It was an interesting time to try that um, when, when they were, you know, moved the ball a little bit there. But um, I, I don't blame them for going for it for just the reasons you said. I mean, look, touchdowns have been at a premium here. Right. Now, what did you think of the – uh, tackles running outside and out by the receivers when they're running crazy. But I, I they're like running that too, though. They're running what three offensive linemen with a with a quarterback and a halfback under in the middle, yeah, and then they're running. Got to try something that goes right back to what you and were it worked. Saying. Yes, it, it did work, which and, was and, even crazier. Well, yeah, and I, I you know, 
I give this coaching staff some some props for trying something, right? Yeah. And that worked, and, and they're searching for things that work. Um, and I'm pretty sure Oklahoma didn't have that on their little card to, no. to be ready for. And they had no, they had no idea what to do with it. You're running into a buzzsaw coming largely up the middle when they're blitzing, and right. this this put Oklahoma on their heels. Which they they ran the ball on these plays too. They didn't right. pass the ball. Which the whole thing, even going back and and thinking about it, looking at it, just all of it just still doesn't make sense to me that that was that both those plays gained positive yardage with uh, Wilder and. Um, I, f- I forget who the other. It was uh, D'Artagnan Tinsley, I think, on the uh, on the tackles outside. Yeah, it it, it was very interesting, uh, very interesting, and uh, yeah, good for them for thinking of that. That that was that was pretty cool. Um, now you go to BYU, and they talked about. Um, I remember the last time they were out there, and I, I feel like. Uh, the altitude and all that stuff does play a big factor out there. It really does. And I think it kind of cooked UC a little bit the last time they were out there. But UC is actually favored in this game. And BYU has a win at Arkansas. Um, what are they? Three and one. Um, but UC on the road, if I saw that right, are favored maybe by a couple of points, was a little bit surprised me. But um ESPN's FPI has them as 57.2% chance to win the game. And uh, the line currently, according to Caesar, stands at minus two with an over-under of 48.5. Okay. Well, if you talk about a team, too, and I looked up a little bit on them, um, as much as you see a struggle in the red zone, have you seen what BYU does? BYU has scored, been in the red zone 15 times this season. They've scored all 15, 12 have been touchdowns. Talk about a team that knows how to finish drives. That's getting it done. In fact, they, they may be, I can't imagine there's many teams better than that in the country right now um, in that kind of performance in the red zone. So that's the complete opposite of the UC offense. Um, but they're not a dominant team and I think it's going to be an interesting game on, on Friday night. And uh, we'll see if the old Bearcats can bounce back on the road here after a couple tough ones at home. Yeah. Uh, the quarterback Keaton, Keaton, Slovis, Keaton Slovis uh, played for Pitt last year and Satterfield saw him last year in action. Uh, so he's at least familiar with the tape on Slovis. Uh, and then Daniel Greshik, played for Utah State last season, and they played BYU as well. And um, he he's obviously familiar as having played study tape and played them last season. So you have at least a couple guys uh, between Satterfield and Greshik who are familiar. You're not completely unfamiliar with this BYU team going into Provo on a short week. Um, but everybody talks about how Cincinnati has to play on a short week and they're coming off Oklahoma. BYU is coming off a loss on a short week as well. So they're not in a great position themselves. Um, I know you talk about them scoring in the red zone. Maybe Coach Satterfield can talk with their coach after the game and see what's going on. You know, they'll be tearing into all that game film this week or already have. (laughs) Maybe they saw some things there that'll help their offense because that's just amazing, uh, that statistic. And, um, 
you know, we'll see. You know, UC got the win at Pitt. We'll see if they can do the same at BYU. It'd be a nice win for them and, and a nice little bounce back. And, and you know, Coach Satterfield admitted that, you know, getting that first Big 12 win is a big deal, and it is. And then being the first of the new teams in the Big 12 to get a Big 12 win would be kind of nice. So yeah, uh, we'll see if they can pull off that feat uh, and then maybe uh, gear up and, and, and make some good things happen the rest of this season. But, uh, you know, a lot of people were down after the Oklahoma thing and, uh, you know, not everyone was seeing silver linings. And, and I, you know, I see some. You want to win those games. You play these games to win them, not to feel good that you played hard and that, you know, oh, well, we didn't win. But um, yeah, there's no I moral victories linings in there. I, I think the defense played pretty darn well most of the game. Uh, BYU, their, their most points they scored all season was 41. They did hang 38 up in that win against Arkansas that you were talking about. Uh, they scored 27 against Kansas. Uh, they have not ran the ball very well, averaging 61 yards per game rushing um, and passing only averaging 263. They average 164 yards less offense than Cincinnati as far as you defense know, goes. You wonder how the hell they get it done in the red zone, man. That's crazy. That is crazy. Uh, but their defense, um, Cincinnati's defense giving up 336 yards per game. Their defense giving up 326 yards per game. Um, so similar defenses as far as statistically anyway. Uh, so it'll be – I don't know. I think it's going to be it's going to be a rock fight, if you ask me. Um, yeah. I, I am envious of anybody who does make the trip out to Provo. Um, I know the party scene or any type of um, <laughs> if you're trying to have an adult beverage out that way is uh, difficult at best. Yeah. Yes. Um, that said, the views, I think, make up for all of that tenfold. So uh, I'm just a little jealous of the uh, atmosphere that you're going to get to take in with BYU. Yeah, I, I'm going to have to get out there sometime. We thought about going to this one, but it just didn't like line up properly. So, uh, you know, there's going to be other chances. Uh, right. We'll play them again out there and then hopefully I can get out there and take in some of that scenery. I agree. I've been to Salt Lake, you know, I've been with, which, you know, right up the road. It, I mean, basically it's part of Salt Lake is uh university, right. of Utah, which that's, you know, that there's some scenery there too. Great scenery there. Um, you know, and they hosted the Olympics. In fact, I think when I was out there, um, they still had the the Olympic flame cauldron at that stadium. They, they may still have it there. I'm, I'm sure they probably do. Um, but I was out there. <laughs> I was out there for the old Bob Huggins and, and Chuck Machock thing when they both got tossed out of the <laughs> against Gonzaga and. What a day that was. And Bob goes walking out right past. I'm sitting. We had these weird little tables by the court. And Bob, I I mean, I may have said something to him when they were marching him out. I can't remember. But I was sitting next to uh, Cincinnati's sports information director, the great Tom Hathaway. And after they took Bob back, I'm like, Tom, you better go back and see what they're, you know, where they're putting this guy. And. He had to sit in this locker room that they had him in, and it was a little just dilapidated locker room. And he got to watch the television on a screen that was like this big. It, it was unbelievable. And you're thinking, you know, an NCAA game, you're the head coach, and you're watching it on one of the worst screens in the country. Uh, but that's what happens when you get tossed out. And then 
10 minutes later, they're walking Chuck out at the end of the court <laughs> out of door because he, because he let the ref have it that threw hugs out of the game. Boy, that was, you, you, you know, you can find some fun in Utah when things like that happen. Yeah. I'm, I'm sure Bob had no issues getting his hands on any adult beverages out in Utah. No, you got that right. <laughs> we didn't either. I, 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 my photographer, I remember, he brought this, like, pint of Jack Daniels, and we went out to this bar. Well, then I'm driving him home, and, you know, we didn't drink that much at the bar. We're dropping this other dude off that we, a Cincinnati native who was living in Salt Lake, and we dropped him off at his place, and he and my photographer popped open that pint of Jack, Um and that thing was gone when I got back to the hotel. So the next day, during that game at halftime, I go back in the media room, and my photographer is laid out asleep on the floor. In the the media room was this uh, practice gym, so was, there, there was a lot of area there, and he was laid down on the floor just snoozing at halftime. Of that bat. had no idea what's going on in the game, um, so I had to fill him in and and kind of babysit him the rest of the day. And it turned out to be a hell of a day because that you know Bob got booted, UC lost, Chuck got booted. It was crazy, crazy, crazy day. That's and that's amazing that you were there for all of that. Oh, yeah, uh, funny. But yeah. you, I mean, at the time you don't appreciate how funny that stuff is. And I remember one of the beat reporters. He's looking all harried, and he's like, you know, and I I passed him in the hallway after all this stuff had happened and the. Post games were over, and I looked at him. I go, I go. This is some funny stuff, and I don't think I said stuff. But then he walks on by me. These stops. He goes, Hey George, you know what? You're right. This is some funny stuff. And he talked to me later, like he was feeling all this stress about all this stuff going on. It's like, you know what? I should have fun with this because this is funny. This never happens. You know, historic moment. Maybe not one of the brighter moments in UC history, but it's something people remember. And wasn't it Mo who kept running track of how long it had been since, or was it Dan? Yeah, Dan. Dan. Dan kept track. Kept running yeah. track of how many games Chuck made it without getting tossed out. Oh, I don't yeah. think Mrs. Chuck liked that very much, but Chuck, <laughs> Chuck didn't care at all. He thought it was funny. Chuck <laughs> thought it was funny. Well, you, you, uh, Got us talking about basketball and the basketball schedule for the first inaugural season for the Big 12 for these Cincinnati Bearcats came out today. Uh, November, you have UIC, most of these at home, UIC at home, Detroit Mercy at home as part of the MTE, Eastern Washington, Washington at home as part of the MTE. Then you have Northern Kentucky at home, Georgia Tech at home, at Howard, and that wraps up your November. Anything well, stick out to you there, George? The Kentucky game after what happened last year, right? Right, right. Here you see, you got to circle that game. Um, and, and then out of all those, obviously, the, the, the biggest one is probably Georgia Tech, but it might be Northern Kentucky given what happened last year. I mean, you can't lose I, that game again. I, I mean, you know, and, and there were a lot of people, I know that night that they played, a lot of people were flying out to that Maui Invitational and getting off that plane and, you know, firing up their phones and finding out, oh, my God, we flew all the way to Hawaii to watch a team that just lost to NKU. 
not that they anything from NKU. Obviously, another good season for them, and and they had a lot of good veteran players on that team. And boy, they stuck it to UC over there last year, no doubt about it. Then you have in December, Florida Gulf Coast at home, the crosstown shootout at X. Um, at home against Bryant, you have the Dayton game at the Heritage Bank Center. Um, you have at home against Merrimack, at home against Stetson, and at home against Evansville wraps up your December. Not a, not, not a lot of excitement in those games at, at fifth third that you see there. Um, right. You know, Bryant, good program there, but the rest – um, but obviously, you know, the game that stands out there is the shootout and, and Dayton, both not at fifth third. You know, they're at – at. Uh, although that says at Xavier, then it says Cincinnati fifth third arena. That's a mistake on there. Um, I agree. Yeah, they're, they're, they're trying to win. And, uh, gosh, I think they're trying to win at Centos for the first time since like 2003 or something. I, it's been a while. Well, uh, Cincinnati did win in the uh, the TBT at Centos, so perhaps well, that, that true. perhaps How that I overlook that. How perhaps I overlook the basketball tournament. Perhaps that set the tone, though, for what's to come. We uh, shall see. But man, it's been a generation since they've won it uh, on the Xavier campus. Then you open up Big Twelve play at BYU in January. Uh, at home against Texas, at Baylor, at home against TCU, at Oklahoma, at home against Oklahoma, at Kansas, and uh, at home against UCF, and at West Virginia. A lot of games in January. That's a great schedule right there. Hallelujah for the Big Twelve. I mean that you you look at the names on there and the programs and and what those teams have done and wow, that's great to see. Definitely great to see and not going to be easy. No, no, not even a little bit. Uh, no, then February. Get those two bigs eligible, but I don't know if that's going to happen. February, uh, February, you have at Texas Tech, at home against Houston, at home against Iowa State, at UCF, at home against Oklahoma State, at TCU, at Houston. So Houston twice that month. Yep, and we know what they're all about. All too well. Yep. Then to finish it out in March, you have at home against Kansas State, at Oklahoma, at home against West Virginia, and then the Big 12 tournament March 12th. Yep, out in Kansas City. That'll be a lot of fun. It's really cool to see that, you know, in print. And, right. And, and it's arrived, and it's coming at us real fast. You know, another month we'll be in the basketball season, and then – a month after that, you're into that Big 12, and that's 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 big-time basketball, no doubt about it. We'll see if the Cats are ready to go right out of the gate because that's, that's asking a lot. But that's, you know, you remember back in the old Big East, and if you went 500 in that old Big East, you were pretty much guaranteed a spot in the NCAA tournament because you had so many big wins under your belt. I mean, that gets you ready to, uh, to play in that NCAA tournament and – you find out a lot about your team playing that kind of competition, and it's it's great to see UC back in a conference like that where, you know, every game, it seems like a big game coming in. Yeah, I think uh, I think Chad was saying earlier tonight, uh, 21 games are against uh, tier, tier one or tier two programs. So 
Right. And in the past couple of years, they've hardly had any of those on the schedule. Mm -hmm. So it's yep. going to be quite a change. Yep. Uh, switching gears completely. The Cincinnati Bengals last night on Monday Night Football get their first win. Joe Burrow was active, although looking a bit of a shell of himself. Um, I, I don't think he played a great game. Still somehow ended up with 259 yards, throwing it almost 50 times, which is bananas to me. That, that's surprising, yeah, that they threw that much and threw a lot in the first half. Yeah. Um, but they, they do get the win, 1916 against the Super Bowl champion L.A. Rams uh, in a rematch of the Super Bowl from just two short seasons ago. Um, what, what, what were your takeaways, your initial takeaways of this game, George? Well, first of all, it's just good to get a win. You can't, yeah. you can't go 0-3. And, no. you know, Burrow said that went into some of his thinking about, do I play, do I not? And he felt like he could not play and let them go out there. And then, you know, you go 0-3. Um, but it, it was good to see him get a little more comfortable, it seemed like, as the game went on. Now, he didn't necessarily feel that, but it looked that way. And then, you know, he rolled out a couple times. That one play he rolled out on the sweep. They ran that bootleg. And, and he said after the game, he didn't know if he could do it or not till he did it. You know, he wasn't sure. Uh, that, that he could make that play, but he did. Uh, he got out of it unscathed. There's no tweaking of that calf or anything. Um, so the Bengals came out ahead on that deal. I think, um, you know, a lot of passing in the first half was Joe kind of switching out of running plays because of stuff he saw defensively that, that maybe he could take advantage of. And I felt like it was great to see them make a concerted effort to get the ball to Jamar Chase. I mean, there was no doubt. There's no doubt he's the playmaker. Um, not the only one on that team, but the best one on that team. And that that's a guy you have to somehow find ways to get him the ball and let him do what he does. 141 yards on uh, 12 receptions. He had 12 receptions on 15 targets. Uh, you know, the man's a go-getter. And, and I think Joe Burrow felt like, he needed to make a concerted effort to make sure Jamar got more involved. Um, I think so the I, difference on, on what's on, on the Jamar Chase front, I, yeah. I think the, the difference is the fact that they actually schemed him off the sideline. They were able yeah. to do some things yeah. going over the middle, and that made a huge difference. I yeah. have been talking about that the last two weeks, and I, I think right. that made a giant difference yeah. for both you know, Chase and for Burrow. I think Chase may have been, you know, he he, does, he doesn't. I know he's a smart guy, isn't going to make waves like that. But I think even he was like, "Come on, we've got to do something different here uh, for me to get more involved in this game." Because uh, um, you know, obviously, he's a big time player and loves to be involved in big time games. And that was a big time game last night because you go zero and three, uh, you're in big big trouble. But you know, the, the 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 headline, Burrow sacked twice, but he held up. He's not hurt any worse. Um, hopefully this thing keeps getting better. But at least he seemed, to me, to be a little more confident in it and uh, a little more comfortable playing with that uh, injury that hopefully 
uh, does not nag him for the entire season because I right. thought he was pretty good. Joe Mixon was big in some big moments in that game, uh, scored the touchdown, which was really a sweet play. Um, and then the defense. Good old Lou Anarumo, baby, dialed up another winner for the Bengals because um, that was a slugfest. Uh, some call it a boring game, not a lot going on, but it was tight all the way. So every play, you're sitting there going, holy crap, you know, this would mean, you know, every play meant something in that game. And, you know, Trey Hendrickson just did what he seems to do more often than not, big-time plays by him. The whole defensive line was great in that game. They were, you know, you you control what they did at the line of scrimmage. Um, you're gonna more often than not come out with a win, and they were able to do that. Logan Wilson continues to show up, play well. That interception was darn sweet. He had mm-hmm. that kill. I, I've been wondering about these safeties, and if you know, um, Logan had two, two. Yes, that's right, two. The the one was uh, the one they reviewed. What a play by him. What a play. But, uh, yeah, he's a big-time player for them, too. What a find they got when they drafted him. Uh, but Dax Hill, I thought the safeties, you know, Dax played pretty well. And that humongous sack he had was uh, probably something to get him going a little more now. And, uh, again, it all goes back to the guy who, I mean, I think the world of Blue, I, I think Lou's a really good coach. And uh, I hope he's still around next year. But I got a feeling someone's finally going to wake up and and see him for what he is and and i think he's definitely had coaching material i think it was dax hill's best game of his career his short career at this point uh, it's only his second season but uh I, I think he definitely flashed all over the place uh, yeah. the whole game um that said i think it's crazy that we're in a place where our defensive line had a better game than a an aaron donald defensive line yeah. Um, which Hendrickson would have had a bigger game if anyone would ever throw a flag on anyone who's guarding Hendrickson. There's some truth to that for sure. He gets held about as much as Jawan Briggs and Dante Corleone get get held. So uh, I think that's the point that we're at right now. Uh, But uh, yeah, defense had a fantastic game. Anytime you hold anybody to 16 points uh, and Tutu Atwell and uh, the – Puka, Nakua, yeah. uh, th- they've both been having fantastic seasons up to this point. Yeah. And you held them fairly quiet, um, only holding this offense to 16 points when I don't they they their high this season is is 30 at this point. Uh, Stafford had a pretty efficient day having 269 on only 33 passes as opposed to Joe's 50, but Again, you just you did what you needed to do. You put the offense on the field far more times than uh, the Rams' defense, and you got to win at home yeah. in a whiteout. Uh, I think that these jerseys look better than the color rush jerseys. Personally, I love that they do the field up. I love that the aerial shots of the stadium completely whited out. I don't think it would have looked the same in a day game as opposed to a night game, Correct. and. Uh, you also have to give a shout out to Chad Ochocinco, yeah. and uh, uh, he gets into the Ring of Honor. And plenty of plenty of former Bengals staff and players in town for that. And uh, 
who's also Boomer, right? Yep, Boomer, Boomer and Chad went into the biggest there. personalities in that franchise's history. I mean, those are two guys that you knew were in the locker room, you knew were on the team, and you know their personalities are a little different. You know, Chad's the flashy guy and all that, but Boomer, man, um, he's a big personality and he was a leader. He had a quarterback personality that was. Uh, you know, bigger than life, and you still see him going strong on the studio show for CBS and and doing his thing there. And, and well, he's got the radio show out in New York as well. Yes, and uh, yeah, those guys, those guys are two big personalities. It was great, great night. And, and you brought up those jerseys and the whiteout and the uniforms. And I got to tell you, like the first time I saw the white helmets and all that, I'm like. Mm. I was kind of lukewarm on it all. I really liked it last night. I mean, they grew on me, and and that's right. But I, I'm so partial to the orange and black. But with that, the the white pants, the white shirt, that white helmet looks so cool. Um, that that looked really really good. It's grown on me, and uh, you know, I'm not a big uniform guy that sits around and nitpicks. And I like this jersey better than that one, and this one has these stripes. But that looked really cool. That, that I'm looking at, I'm like, dang, I really like these now. And I, I, when they first did it, I thought, oh man, this just doesn't look good at all. But grew on me. Someone was right who came up with that. Jeff brought up in the chat. He thought it was awesome. They rocked uh, Burrow and Chase jerseys instead of their own. Um, that is awesome. No that doubt. About cool. it. That's very cool. Um, two cool guys, man. They were they were fun to cover. Um, and like I said, they were different. Chad was more the, you know, entertainer and all that. Boomer was not all business. And he understood, I mean, he understood the television and the, and the broadcast business uh, from an early age. He did an internship when he was in college at, at Maryland and worked with, uh, he worked with a lady named Gail Searns, who I believe was the first lady to call an NFL game on network television back in the day. And so he kind of knew the business. Um, you know, while we're covering him, he kind of knew what we wanted. And I, and I said this to the Bengals um, a while back, they were asking about Boomer and just some info on him. And when we were at the Super Bowl uh, down in Miami, he would come through the, the uh, hotel lobby every night and see the local guys. We were all kind of hanging out, just seeing what was going on. And, and we were all at the same hotel at that point. And uh, he would ask us, do you need anything? Do you need an interview or anything you need from me? And finally, about the third night of this, I'm like, Boomer, what are you doing? Like, what's going on? You, you know, you did your media thing this morning. He's like, well, you guys have been with us all season. You know, you're with us now. I just want to make sure we take care of you guys and you get everything you want. Class act. And, you know, not pe yes. people don't see that. And that, that, was, uh, that was a class act by a guy who, you know, was the MVP that year. Uh, so that, that always stuck with me about him, that, that he understood what we had to do. And by golly, he helped us all he could. Good man. Nice. Um, so you had brought up when we were discussing Joe Burrow's injury that Jamar Chase may have been the smartest one in the room, as he was saying way back uh, before the season began that Joe should have been sitting out. Jamar Chase goes back and reiterates those same statements this week as we're looking ahead to Monday Night Football, and he still says that Joe should have been sitting out. He ends up with a huge day, obviously. Uh, Joe, again, just looked – he looked off all night by my estimation. 
Um, there's obviously when you're going against Aaron Donald and some different things there, um, maybe he doesn't quite have a hundred percent confidence in his offensive line yet at this point. Um, but he just looked very uncomfortable, um, between the injury and just the line. Um, but do you think that Jamar Chase is still the smartest man in the room as he continues to beat the drum that well, should be out? And that means that Browning would be in unless you're bringing up AJ McCarron, who a ghost from Bengals past yes, is I back know. on the team. I know. I, I don't know what to make of that either. Um, God, I, I don't know who's the answer there, but hopefully Joe Burrow's the answer and he can keep playing without hurting this thing or tweaking it. Um, and it looked like they had it wrapped up a little more last night too. It just looked like um, there was more going on on that yeah. leg than what had been going on in, in previous games. And I read somewhere from a doctor uh, that she, she's a Twitter doctor, so who knows what that actually means. <laughs> but she said that he had a um, a – uh, just a wrap around it to restrict blood flow and all of that. And then um, also said that he had a massaging apparatus of some yeah. sort uh, yeah. on the sidelines. And she worried that from the camera angles that she saw, she worried that that leg looked a bit atrophied, but she, she couldn't 100% say that it was indeed atrophied, but she just said it appeared as such. Um, but that was just her estimation, not, her putting that in brick or anything like that. Well, my, my guess is uh, he said he got out. There was no tweaking or anything. My right. guess is he'll just continue to play right now and, and and hope that that thing becomes less and less of an issue. Uh, certainly the Bengals have to hope that uh, because, I, you know, do they win with him not in the game last night? I don't know that they do. I, I agree. They do. I don't think they do. Um, you know, like you said, the numbers weren't eye popping or anything like that, but the dude is really good at managing the game, getting them in the right things, get it, you know, just he, he's, he's processes stuff football wise. His football IQ is ridiculous. He's brilliant. Yes. It's yes. It's like computer esque that, that he can, you know, look at what's what he sees across the line and know exactly what's going to happen and where to go. And that's hard to replace. I mean, that, those guys don't grow on trees. Um, there's not very many of them that do it that well in the history of the game, really. Um, so I, I, I tell you what, I give him a lot of credit for going out there and doing it. Um, it would have been easy to say, yeah, I need a couple more weeks. I tweak this thing. And right. I, you know, I'm worried I'm going to make it worse. And I, no, he saw 0-2, and, and he's like, I can't let this team go 0-3. Because if we're 0 3, what the hell does it matter if I come back? You know, we may be buried. Um, and, and now here they are with the one win. They should, you know, Tennessee, they're a slight favorite there. Um, you hope they go down there and able to take care of business. And maybe Tennessee will look like Tennessee did against Cleveland because the Browns just waxed them. Um, now, our Browns defense is special too, as, as we saw in that Bengals game. They're the real deal. And, and this, this, this division battle is going to be so heated, so heated. And the Bengals aren't out of it. Um, no. You know, they got the two losses, but they're not out of it. Um, it it's what a division. Uh, this is going to be going to be tough to win it, but I still think they can. Uh, but Joe's got to stay healthy. And, and 
they're going to have to manage it. I mean, you know, they're going to have to, they get up in a game, they're going to have to pull his butt out, make sure something doesn't happen. You know, they got to, they, they got to be smart about this, but uh, I think he's going to continue to try to play after what we saw last night. I think they need to give Joe Mixon the ball a little bit more. Uh, he yeah, has shown th- through three games, every time he touches the ball, he, I feel like he touches it with an energy unmatched by anybody else on the field. Um, He's bringing something this year. There's something. I, I I don't know if it's the doubts about whether they were going to bring him back. And I don't think the Bengals ever gave him that message. But he reads stuff. He hears stuff. Yeah. People like, God, he's not worth that much money, you know, in this. And they should probably cut him, bring in another running back. Do He heard all that talk. And he came in with a purpose this season. And he's running with a purpose. Um, you know, he's uh, surprised me a little bit. I, I always, you know. Not that I thought he was chopped liver, but uh, he's he's running with a, a renewed purpose, it looks like. I think this Tanner Hudson kid that they picked up uh, along the way at tight end, um, he brought something that I have not seen at tight end since Hayden Hurst yep. was here last season. Um, and then the other note I have, T. Higgins has got to figure some shit out. He had a terrible game. Oh my and God. He, is, I don't know what's going on there. He, I don't know if he's wrapped up in these contract talks. I don't know if I don't know either. That's certainly the first thing that jumps in your head. But there's something or, going on there. But that that's or not franchise tag. If he's worried about the franchise tag and what that could potentially mean, not wanting to put it all out on the field in in a contract year, essentially. Um, I, I don't know what was going on with him, but that's not going to be. You can't you can't build on that. That's not a game. That's a game that you want to put behind no, you fact, and look back. What do you have? Like two catches last night. I on I, eight I, targets. Yeah, eight targets, two catches. I don't know how many drops he had in there, but there was one that was I mean, it almost stuck in his chest and, and it ended up on the turf. So yeah, you can't you, I don't know what's going on there, but he's got to figure that out. And uh, the Bengals have to figure that out, but we'll see. Hopefully, they get the two and two after the trip to Tennessee, and and things start looking up a little more for them. Yes, you you can certainly build on that Tennessee win as well with Arizona, another uh, away game after that. So we'll we'll definitely be keeping our eye out on all of that. But good to finally get a win. No doubt about it. Speaking of wins. I was going to say, speaking of wins, uh, the Reds, it looks like, did get the win. I think it's I think it's over here. Yep, 11-7, Red Legs. There you go. Still alive, but barely. I think Fangraphs has them at like a 7.5% chance to make the playoffs now. I mean, they got to win out. They got to win out. They blew it right. over the weekend, blowing a 9 to nothing uh, lead and losing to Pittsburgh. That's one – with everything that that game meant and this stretch has meant, and, and that's, you know, it it's probably one of the worst regular season losses in team history when you think of it, of what's it's, going on. And what's being, on the line? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it's a terrible, terrible loss, and it was capped a four-game losing streak at a point where they can't afford losses like that. And, that I mean – you know, God bless them for winning Sunday, but it was almost too little too late, and they got to win out, and even that may not be enough. Well, and that's coming on the heels when they were up. Uh, even even the game on Friday, they were up uh, before 
Pittsburgh scores three after in in the two in the seventh and one in the in the ninth um, to win Friday night seven five. Yeah, blew and that one. Yep. You you can't you can't lose games like that in in the last week of the season when you're in contention but don't have anything locked up. Right. No. Um, and it, it, the, you know the I guess the bottom line is. They're just not good enough yet, and uh, you know their bullpen just looked terrible in that game Saturday night. But they're 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 out of gas. I mean, they, they're, they're, who's in the bullpen right now? Even yeah, I mean, they're, they're out of gas. I mean, there's nothing left, and uh, you know, we'll we'll see how they finish it out. But uh, they're they're going to end up 20 games better than last year, so it's a start. I think Slaughter got a couple innings Saturday night, didn't he? <laughs> yeah, he should have. He should have. He's ambidextrous, I think. He can pitch left right. and right. You know, they Just don't have to. The glove? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> you know, he, <laughs> he can do it all out there. But yeah, still, reason for hope. Yes. You know, they got to, it's going to be an off season where they better gather some, uh, they better, better gather some pitching. And I don't know if we've seen the last of Joey Votto yet or not. What do you think? He come back? I mean, they're not going to bring him back for 25 mil or whatever it is. Right. No, 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 no. play on the 7 million buyout, I don't know what happens there. This is one of those heart versus head questions, right? Because your heart, your heart, you want him here and you want him to not look like he looked this season. But even at 7 million, I know. How much sense does that make? Yeah, I mean, team. you would have to put him in, like, probably a DH role, or I, I don't know. And do you want to do that? I don't know. It's I don't I don't think it's bad for the locker room to have him there, even at $7 million. Um, I, I think that he continues to show, and as you transition, potentially transition him into a role as a, a, a management role of some sort here, because I right. think that he would offer – he has so much to offer in that regard, whether it be as an actual – team manager or as any type of uh, coaching position for that matter. Um, I think that he has so much knowledge to just in in a way that he can just impart that knowledge on players that they're actually accepting of it, as opposed to just barking at them what they need to do. Uh, You know, that's kind of the difference between a Joey Votto and a Pete Alonzo. Yeah. Well, hearing him talk in depth about hitting is like, Look, I, I've followed baseball, played baseball, all that, and and when he gets deep into it, it is unbelievable. Like it's like there's stuff he talks about I've never considered, thought about. It's just, and, and <laughs> it's funny. He knows when he's getting deep with it, and it's like, oh my god, this is levels I didn't know existed. Yeah, of thinking about this and and how, oh my god, it, it's fascinating. It is fascinating. What, what he knows about hitting. Regardless, right now they stand at eighty after the win. They're eighty-one and seventy-seven. They are playing into the last week of the season, where it's still meaningful baseball. They did this with a roster littered, top to bottom, with guys playing their very first major league season, and you you put all that together, and they've exceeded all of our expectations. Without a doubt. I mean, I honestly, I thought they might have another 100 loss season uh, unless, you know, Green, Lodolo, and and Ashcraft had big seasons. None of them had what would be termed a big season 
and no. we're 20 games better than last year. Eh, Ashcraft. You could argue Ashcraft had a big season. Yeah, okay. I'll give you that. But, boy, in totality to what I expected they would need, I yeah. expected they would need to carry most of the load. I wonder how much money you could have made if you would have teased the over-under on win total to over 500. Like oh 81 and a half. I put, yeah. I mean, I, I put I put five for them to win over 65. Right, right. And that's what I'm saying. The number I was made 54 and a half. I made 50 on five on that. Yeah. Just a little stupid bet. Right. Tease that bad boy up to 81 and a half. I mean, you probably could have made 500 bucks. Probably. I would have never imagined they would do that. No. Yeah, you're right. No. You, you could have made a fortune. This uh, was supposed to be about slowly, the young guy slowly trickling up. Yeah. And maybe by the all-star break or by call-ups, like, you know, all, you know, some of these guys were here and what was it? June, like May, everybody was here. It felt like. Yeah. My, my biggest fear is that they yeah. fall in love with this idea that they can do this every season, and I don't want them to think that because they caught lightning in a bottle this season that they can continue to do this without making a splash signing or six next year because I think you need that many for your bullpen, for your starting pitching. You, you have to, you have to, have to, have to find some pitching depth, and we've, we've talked ad nauseum at that. Yeah, and, and if they far. don't know, they'll never know because look at what's gone on this season with them. And you can never, ever have too much pitching. You just no. can't. And they're going to have a lot of money freed up. And there is right. no excuse this offseason. Um, they, they've got to go out and get it done. And, boy, if they don't, it's going to be a shame because they're wasting a hell of an opportunity because this is a team that could do some real damage if they have some help on that mound. I agree. So we'll see what happens. Uh, they're, they're mathematically not out of it. They will have to win out in addition for some other things kind of falling into place. Yeah, they, need uh, they need but at, as things currently stand, they are, uh, as far as the wild card goes, two games back. Uh, I think there are still some games going on. Yeah, I saw the Cubs. Well, oh, no. The Cubs just dropped a can of corn fly ball to right field and the Braves now lead the Cubs seven to six. So How about that? I mean, just a can of corn, George camped under That's it. The kind of stuff the Reds need to have happen, man. Camped under it and it just maybe, dropped. Maybe that's a sign. Maybe the Cubs are going to flub it up this last week. I mean, that, that that's a bit like you got the Braves on the ropes. Like they had that, they had a big lead in that game. Right. And you I just thought it was drop a routine fly ball. Yeah, I, I don't drop know. a routine fly ball. Now you're down seven six. Ooh. Well, you still have it's my getting, it's it's getting things are getting tight in Chicago. Let's hope my, it continues to get tight. Miami is one game back, the Chicago Cubs and Arizona Diamondbacks tied at uh for those two second and third wild card spots. Uh but stranger things have happened in September. Yeah, no, they they have. The Reds just got to take care of their business and uh, see what happens. That's all they can do now. You got four more games left, as we talked about. Uh, one more in Cleveland before uh, three to finish out the season, uh, a three-game series in St. Louis. I got to think St. Louis kind of wants to spoil the Reds' party. Sure. Yep. Sure. 
No doubt. So um, that's the Reds, though. Uh, FC Cincinnati, anything there that you need to cover Still this cooking, week? man. No, they're they're in great shape. They're gonna, you know, they're gonna have the most points in the league. They're blowing out the Eastern Conference. What do they got? They're like up eleven points or something. Coming down the stretch, just a few games left. They picked up what well, they had a win, so five points in three games last week, and they play uh, on the road at Toronto this Saturday. So they're skating to the playoffs, and uh, looks like there'll be uh, a lot of playoff action at TQL Stadium, barring some kind of disaster. In they the got playoffs. an award this week, didn't they? The the fans get an award, or the the stadium get an award? Yeah, I forget what that was too. I did see that. I saw if I get I get their alerts on my iPhone or or my iWatch. Gotcha. Yeah. So I saw it on there, but I didn't get in depth in it. Um high school football, not a lot of big games this week, but the pit at Elder hosting Moeller. That's the best game on the docket, and that should be one heck of a game, I would think. Also, uh worth mentioning. Purcell Marion has the new stadium now at the school. First time this year, Staubach Stadium. And uh, Roger was there for the opener, but this is homecoming, hosting CHCA. I may have to make a move and go over there and, and, and see that because I haven't been to a game at that stadium yet. And, uh, yes, Chad's Lloyd juggernauts roll on. They're 6-0. and We'll be 7-0 and after a game at Pendleton County this week. How about fight that? On juggernauts fight, carry <laughs> on to victory. The only school in the nation with the nickname Juggernauts. How about that? I wonder how many how many schools have the nickname G-Man, like my Georgetown G-Man. Probably just them. Yeah, that would be nice. I, I should I should know that, but I, I'm guessing that may be the case. Um but yeah, Lloyd, I'm, I'm going to get to a game in Lloyd. Northern Kentucky. Covcath is, and that's probably about it. I'm going to get to a game at Lloyd before this, this regular season comes to an end. Fine, Juan. Well, maybe we should go to one together. I'm in. All right. I'm in. We'll look at we'll look at the schedule. We'll try to make that happen. Here, hold on. Jeff said his Wyoming Cowboys are oh, 73 yeah. Yeah, straight. They're, they're and uh Going to be 74 this week, but I don't want to disparage, you know, Deer Park. <laughs> yeah, Wyoming has just owned that Cincinnati Hills League for so long. Um, amazing program. Aaron does a great job up there. They're they're uh, they've been cooking forever up there. Been two two home games left, George. Yeah, uh, Lexington. Lexington Catholic, the 13th. Uh, Lexington Catholic, who's usually a powerhouse. They're two. Yeah, and they four. are. They're two and four. So they're having an off year. And then uh, Bourbon County. I may have to go see Bourbon County. Who's 0 and 4? Bourbon. I mean, that's your people, Bourbon County. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, let me know what lines up for you. Maybe we'll hit one of those two then. Well, the thirteenth. No, they have the Iowa. The homecoming's the fourteenth. We have to see what that Iowa State kickoff is. Yes, I if will. That's be... noon. It's going to be rough. But if it's later, that could that could be feasible. Okay, we'll see. We'll play okay. it by ear. Love it. Go see the jugs. 
All right. You got anything else then, George? I think it's been a hell of a week. I wish there had been more wins, but at least the Bengals got it done. The Reds got it done tonight. Um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm good to go for another week. All right. Well, that's going to wrap it up. BYU. That was another episode of George in the Jungle. Friday night, BYU. And then uh, the Bengals will be at Tennessee. Um, we'll see what the Reds can do in this last uh, last four days on the playoff push. But we will see you next Tuesday night, 9 o'clock, on George in the Jungle. He's George. I'm Aaron. And we're out of here. Thank you very much.